Let's open with a word of prayer and let's dig into the word. Heavenly Father, we ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we know if your Holy Spirit doesn't move, this is a waste of time. So Lord, give us ears to hear what your Spirit would say to us. I pray for everyone who's here. You would bless them, encourage them, strengthen them. Uh, For those who are hurting, I pray you'd mend their wounds. I pray for those who are struggling financially that you'd provide for them. Uh, We pray for family members that don't know you for opportunities to share with them the hope that lies within us. And Lord, you are indeed the reason for this season. And we pray that, uh, Lord, many would be added to in this coming Christmas season, that many people would come to know you as their Lord, their God, their Savior, and their King. So bless us now as we go to your word. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. By the way, it's good to be back. I was able to watch Joshua's message uh, delayed. Uh, Great message, book of Proverbs. Proverbs is the book of wisdom. Kids who don't read Proverbs is dumb. Amen. And so it was good. It was good. I was actually, uh, I was in Santa Cruz for Thanksgiving with my family. All my family was there. It was difficult again, first time without our son. But then also my mom's service, memorial service for my mom was on Saturday. And then Sunday, I spoke at one of the Calvary chapels there in Santa Cruz that we planted. So it was a good week, but I missed you guys, and it's good to be home. All right, 2 Kings, let me catch up real quick. As we know, uh, as we're getting towards the end of 2 Kings, we have seen that the nation of Israel was split into two. Earlier on, because of Solomon's disobedience, the northern kingdom, the 10 northern tribes is Israel, the two southern tribes was Judah. And we know that all the kings that came in Israel were evil, one right after the other. And if you're here for chapter 17, we saw that basically the end of Israel, as far as the northern kingdom is concerned, the, the Assyrians came in, literally overran them. God had given them many, many years to repent and to get right with God. They were worshiping false gods. They had set up images to false idols. They continued to walk in open rebellion against God. And you know, the Lord loves us. You know, the Lord desires to forgive us. He wants us to walk in fellowship with him. And he does suffer long, but he won't suffer always. If we continue to walk in open rebellion against God, consequences will come. If you have your outline for tonight, grab it. I titled it Winning the Spiritual Battle. We're going to see that the Assyrians are not happy that they've now, uh, they've now taken over Israel and now they're going to go after Judah. Now, Judah is the southern two tribes that includes Jerusalem. And we know that some of the kings in Judah had been godly kings. And we're going to see a very godly king tonight. But we're also going to see that even this godly king who starts really well, he's going to have some moments where he, he allows fear to take over. And this is something we all can relate to. You know, sometimes our walk with God is really strong, and sometimes we can have moments where our walk isn't where it should be. Can I get an amen to that? We have times where we're, we're not as, our faith isn't as strong. Sometimes we can allow fear, anxiety, depression, and worry to creep in. Those are all things that we can deal with from time to time. And I want to hope you'll be encouraged tonight by the text, even as we're looking at uh, just some difficulty that comes upon the tribe of Judah. So if you have your outline, winning the spiritual battle, how do we do that? And every day we fight this battle between the spirit and the flesh. And which one wins the battle? The one we feed the most. And so as believers, uh, your day is going to be different if you start your day in the word than if you don't. Amen. Amen. Your day is going to be different if you begin your day in prayer or if you don't. 
Your day is going to be different if you're surrounding yourself with other believers during the day and you're having an opportunity to have fellowship with other believers and, or if you don't. And when I was a youth pastor, I used to always say to the kids, I was a youth pastor for 15 years before uh, I planted a church in Santa Cruz, and I would always tell them, look at your five best friends, there's your future. You're going to become like the people you hang out with. And you know what? As adults, that doesn't really change. If you hang out with people that are all about money, you'll probably be all about money. If you hang out with people that are all about a certain hobby, you'll probably be all about that. And, and again, some things aren't necessarily evil or wrong, but I really want to hang out with people that love God as much as I do or more than I do. Amen? Because again, we become like the people we hang out with. So first, remove anything that takes your focus off the Lord. And winning that battle, there's going to be things. Now look, we, have to go to, we need to go to work. You know, we need to be good parents. We need to pay our bills. We need to, you know, we need to participate in the world. But at the same time, while things can be important, nothing should ever be more important than the Lord. Nothing. Not your, not your spouse, not your children, not your job, not your hobbies, not your house. Again, those things are all important, but the Lord's the most important. And you know what? If I put the Lord first, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better man. I'm going to be a better employee, right? And so there are things that will creep into your life. And before you know it, you know, the Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So whatever that priority and passion is of your life, it'll steal away what belongs to the Lord. The first two commandments, no other God before me, no graven image. When we put things in front of God, it's idolatry. So remove anything that takes your focus off the Lord. Number two, we're going to see the consequences of rebelling against the Lord. He's going to remind us of what we looked at two weeks ago. When the Assyrians, God allowed them to come in and take Israel captive. Not only did they take them captive, but they drug them away, hundreds of miles away, and assimilated them into Assyria. And then they sent Assyrian residents into Israel to try to remove Israel from off, their, off of anybody's memory. So the Assyrians took over, and that happened because they continued to rebel against God. You hear me say this a lot, rebellion or fellowship, choose one. You, you, you can't be in rebellion against God and walk in intimate fellowship with God. It's one or the other. And look, we can move back and forth between those two. Amen? We can have times where we, we get overwhelmed by our circumstances or whatever's going on in our life, and we may walk for a while. Uh, you know, we used to call this in the 70s backsliding. Amen? You know, and, you, and I just would always I'd hear that as a little kid. I always just imagine a guy sliding down a mud hill on his back. You know, he's backsliding. He's never getting back up to the top of that hill. But as believers... Every day we have to choose where, where we're going to be with the Lord that day. And you're as close to God as you want to be. Number three, continue to trust in the Lord in the midst of trials, difficulty, and worldly opposition. We're all going to go through tough times. In this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. So as believers, whether you're walking in the center of God's will or you're walking in rebellion, you're going to go through tough times. Now we'll say this. When you're walking in rebellion, often it's consequences to your sin. And when you're walking in obedience, it's trials that God is using to draw you closer unto himself. So we're going to see that tough times come to us all. The real test of where our relationship with the Lord is, is how we respond to tough times. You know, you've heard me say this before, you know, Christians are like tea bags. You find out what's in the, on the inside when you put it in hot water. Amen. And so you really find out where we are spiritually when the heat gets turned up. It's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship. 
It's easy to fall in love with the Lord and live for Him when everything in your life is going well. By the way, that's not very often anyway. Amen? How often is everything perfect in your life? It's not very often. But again, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted, and that's when we grow the most. Number three, Satan will do everything he can to get you to give up. See, if he can't take you to hell with him, he wants you to be rendered ineffective for the kingdom of God as long as you're here. And what he will do is he will, you know, discourage you or, or you know, you'll feel depressed or you'll feel worried or anxious or you'll, you'll just want to give up. Things aren't going your way. Things are difficult right now. And the enemy will do everything he can to get you to a place where you just kind of sit on the sidelines and do nothing. If he can't get you to rebel, he'll get you to just be, be in despair. If he can't get you to rebel, he'll get you to be in despair. So you just sit on the sidelines and do nothing. And then the last two points, the enemy's greatest weapon is fear. You know, the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. Uh, perfect love casts out all fear. You know, the opposite of fear, it's love. It really is. We know that. If you're afraid, run to Jesus and let him love on you. Amen? You know, if you're afraid, run to the Lord. If you're fearful, go trust in him. You know what? I'm not afraid if I got a lion standing in front of me. And Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Can I get an amen to that? And we don't have to be afraid when we're walking with the Lord, but one of the enemy's greatest tools to draw people away is fear, one of his greatest weapons. And finally, and I know this is the old youth pastor in me, so forgive me, sometimes it's just best to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> amen? amen? And that's even true in debating the enemy. You know, we don't need to debate the enemy. We don't need to fight with the enemy. We just need to let the Lord have the enemy. Amen? We don't need to engage, and we're going to see that tonight, engage with the enemy. Just say, Lord, you know what? I'm just going to keep my eyes on you. I'm going to focus on you. You'll take care of him. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, but it's best if we just leave him in the Lord's hand. So let's begin there looking at winning the spiritual battle. Remove anything that will take your focus off of the Lord. Verse 1 of 2 Kings 18. Now it came to pass in the third year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abi, the daughter of Zechariah. Now Ahaz, if you guys will remember, was he a good king or an evil king? extremely evil king. He was an evil, evil king. And so this is his son, Hezekiah. And sometimes we can uh, make the mistake of thinking, well, if my dad's a bad dad, I'm probably going to be a bad dad. Or if my, if my dad is, uh, is lazy and, and is a difficult person or is an evil person, I'm probably going to follow in his footsteps. And sometimes that can happen. But guys, it's never an excuse for us to follow in the footsteps of somebody who's been an ungodly example. It does make it harder for us sometimes. I talk to people all the time. You guys know my story if you've been here any length of time. My dad was a pastor for 60 years. My dad was the most godly man I've ever met. He was my favorite Bible teacher. I grew up in his house. I got the front row seat to tell you what it meant to be a godly husband. He him and my mom loved each other more than I've ever seen anybody love each other in my life. 
And they were hugging people, and that's why you always, it's their fault that I hug all of you, because we're a hugging family. We hug everybody. We're super affectionate. So I grew up with that, and I'm thankful for that. And I know that some people didn't have that blessing, and I recognize that. I recognize that's a privilege and a blessing I have that a lot of people don't. But at the same time, we must not fall into the trap of following the, the bad examples that are around us. I know it's more difficult, and we don't have a godly example, but we're going to see that Hezekiah is a guy that he broke free from his dad's example. He's going to be nothing like his dad. Even though his dad was an evil and a wicked and a godless king, Hezekiah is going to be an extremely faithful and obedient and godly king. And the good news is that even if our earthly dad or mom or whoever raised us was, is flawed or even evil, we have a heavenly father who is perfect. Amen? And he is the example that we follow. So Hosea is the one we looked at last week, and it'll intertwine in here some more two weeks ago, that he was the king in Israel when Israel got overrun. And so in the, middle of the, in the midst of the time when he was reigning, before Israel was overrun by the Assyrians, Hezekiah became the king in Judah. And we're going to see that he is a godly man. And we're going to learn valuable lessons, not only from the personal consequence and rebellion of, uh, and sin in our own lives, but the consequences and righteous judgment of those who choose to walk in open rebellion, kind of like Ahaz did. And we're also going to see the blessing that comes upon the one who is faithful to follow the Lord, even if he did not have a godly example. It says that he reigned there for 29 years, and we're going to see that Hezekiah was one of the better kings of Judah, thus he had a mostly blessed reign. Look at verse 3. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. We haven't seen a lot of that. We've been seeing king after king where it says, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And even when it said they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, there was usually an exception that fell right after that. And the exception was they did what was right in the eyes of the Lord like their father David, and yet they left up all the idols. They left up all the high places where all the false gods were being worshipped. So the standard's getting a little lower for doing what's right. And that they're doing everything else. Oh, they're just leaving a few idols up. I mean, I worship the Lord, but I worship Buddha at the same time. That's a problem. Amen? But we're going to see that Hezekiah is different. And what I love about this, this always encourages me when I see this, see things like this. I love when there's an example of somebody who stands up when nobody else is. You plus God is a majority. Amen? And wherever you go, you can be the one who stands for the Lord. You don't have to be a self-righteous jerk, right? You don't have to be uh, a Pharisee, but you can be somebody who honors the Lord and is kind and loving and gracious and points people to the Lord, even when nobody else around you is. And to me, that's my favorite place to do it. You know why? Because what's the best place to shine a light? The darkest place around, amen? And that's why we want to have that opportunity. And here's Hezekiah who's stepping in in Judah. Israel, three years from when he becomes king, gets overrun by the Assyrians. And we're going to see that Hezekiah, for the most part, we're going to see he starts to flinch a little bit later in this chapter. But in the beginning, he's made a decision. He's honoring the Lord. I'm going to honor God. I'm not following my dad's example. I'm not following the world's example. I'm going to obey what God has commanded me to do. If God says that that settles it, I'm obeying him. I don't care what anybody else does. And Lord, give us that same heart. Amen. 
Now notice this. I love this. Look at verse 4. He removed the high places. Hallelujah. Finally. Amen. If you guys have been coming, we went hundreds of years of nobody taking down all these false idols. Praise God. Now, I will say this. A contemporary of Hezekiah, a man who writes a lot about, mentions Hezekiah in the book that he writes, and is a mighty man of God, is a contemporary who no doubt spoke into Hezekiah's life, and his name is Isaiah. So he's a contemporary of Isaiah. So he had somebody, no doubt, speaking into his life. And we're going to see that because he knew what the Word of God taught, he was being encouraged and strengthened in it, he made a stand and did something that for hundreds of years no other king would do, even when they wanted to follow the Lord. Look what it says there. He took down the high places. He broke the sacred pillars. He cut down the wooden image and broke it in, and broke into pieces the bronze serpent. Now, the first thing that he did is he went in and there were high places. Now, remember why they started back with Jeroboam. Here's what happened. Early on, when Israel first became a separate nation in a sense, and Judah was to the south, you'll remember the first king was afraid if everybody went down to Jerusalem to worship in the temple as God had commanded, they might not come back. So what did he do? He set up two places of worship and put golden calves in Dan and Bethel. And what he said is, you don't have to go all the way down to Jerusalem. You can have more convenient worship, and you can just come worship a golden calf right here. And by the way, the golden calf represents Yahweh. Where in the Bible does a golden calf represent Yahweh? So it was convenient worship. And there's nothing new under the sun. I'm not just talking to you guys because it's cold outside, but come on, man. You could have been down here. But convenient worship... Is where you're sitting in your pajamas eating bacon and eggs when you could have been in watching. I'm glad you're watching, amen. But you understand there's a, there's a mentality that we can have that we, we become consumers when it comes to worship. What's the most convenient time for me? What time do you guys meet? I answer the church phone and they're always shocked when I answer it, especially people that listen on the radio. And they'll say, and they, when they don't know, it's me like, well, how long does that, how long does your pastor teach? How long? <laughs> hour. An hour? No, the whole service is an hour. No, we, we teach for an hour. Really? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you run late for that movie, that three and a half hour Lord of the Rings right about now? You know what I mean? It's this mentality that when it comes to everything else, we'll, we'll go spend two hours getting to the parking lot at Dodger Stadium and then watching a four hour game and spend two more hours getting out and then drive home on the freeway, make it a nine hour event. But when it comes to God, it's got to be more convenient. I got brunch at 11.30. Are we going to make that work? You know, the, the NASCAR race starts at 11. I mean, I'm, I need something that's going to get me in and out quickly. And so there's nothing new under the sun. Guys, we're not consumers. We're worshipers. We don't come here to say, well, what do you have for me? And I hear that on the phone. I try to be gracious. What do you have for me? I need, I need to know what you're going to do for me. Um, I'm going to tell you there's stinking vile sinner in desperate need of a Savior, just like the rest of us. <laughs> I don't say that. I don't say that. Sometimes, but you know what I mean. <laughs> but the reality is that this is nothing new under the sun. You go back, this is, you know, 2,700 years ago. And what are they doing? Well, we're going to make worship convenient. And so then it got worse. They started setting up high places everywhere. 
And, and the king Ahab and his wife brought Baal and Asheroth worship. And before you know it, there were all these false gods littering the land. Now, in case we forgot, this is the land of promise that God gave them. He gave them victory over the giants in the land. He's the one that brought them out of bondage in Egypt. And now after a short amount of time, they're worshiping false gods. And, and by the way, the Egyptian gods were golden, golden calves. So they've been delivered from bondage. And yet they go right back to that same worship. And so praise God for Hezekiah. The first king that came along and said, yeah, I don't think so. And he's kicking down the golden idols. He's going down and breaking down the wooden images. He and Elijah would have been really good friends. Amen? Just going after it. Just like, get that out of here. I don't want any part of that. Take it all down. And he was finally a godly king that was willing to stand up. Now, it also says here, and you may not know this reference, but he also broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. Now, if you are not a big student of the Old Testament, this is one of my favorite pictures in the Bible. I love this. It's in Numbers 21. And what's happening is that they've been delivered out of bondage and they're wandering in the wilderness. Just remember numbers. People say, you, you taught through numbers? Isn't it a bunch of numbers? No, it's really not. What it is, is they're wandering in the wilderness. They should call it wandering in the wilderness because that's what it is. And so in Numbers 21, they're murmuring and complaining about manna. God's dropping Krispy Kreme donuts out of the sky and they're crying about it says it's sweet. It says it's, you know, I mean, he drops it out of the sky. He's got a pillar of fire leading him. You know, they used to be in bondage in Egypt and they wanted to go back and they're crying out for quail and all these things. And so they're murmuring against God. And what does he do? He allows serpents to come into the camp and they start biting them and the people are dying. And what happens? God told Moses, he made it a, a, a bronze serpent, put it on a staff, held it up, and said, everybody who looked to the bronze serpent would be healed. Now, this just seems like voodoo or something, right? This doesn't sound like something that's, that's godly or, you know, but here's the amazing part. Jesus talked about it when he was talking to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And what did he say? As the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. See, he who knew no sin became sin for us. And so that, that was a picture of Jesus Christ. Because guys, we've been bit by the serpent of sin, right? The serpent, a picture of the devil. We're all sinners. And if we look to the cross, we can be healed. Amen? But what had happened, this is 800 years after Moses when we get to this chapter. And that bronze serpent is still around. He did a good job making that thing 800 years later, amen? I've got, I got stuff that, I had to buy a new fridge. The last one was three, three years and two months old. They go, oh, if it's three years, you've gotten a free one, of course. Make them last two months longer so I have to buy another one, amen? But here's what happened, 800 years. But here's the, the caution. Because it was a relic, it was something that Moses created, the people started worshiping the serpent, Guys, we, we need to be careful as believers that we worship only the Lord. Amen? Amen? And even in modern churches, we can start to worship the denomination, the church building. Uh, we can start magnifying your pastor or, or some Christian musician or a worship team. And guys, we magnify nothing and no one but Jesus. Amen. And what, what had happened was, here's that bronze... You know, and, and, and here's a, there's a reason why 
we don't have the cross Jesus died on. Because if we did, people would worship it. Amen? It's not the cross. It's the one who died on the cross that we worship. Amen? And the same is true. I believe that's why God took the Ark of the Covenant away. Right? All these things that we would, we would start worshiping anything. But, and I think it's the same is true in the Bible. The Lord heals people different ways every time. You know why? Because if he healed everybody one certain way, we'd start to worship the way that he did it. We would start to mimic what he did instead of look to him. And so the bronze serpent, even though God had used it 800 years earlier, we see that Hezekiah is spiritually mature enough to say, that's getting in the way. We got people looking to the serpent instead of looking to the Lord. Get rid of it. And he literally destroyed it. He broke it into small pieces. Then it says there, For until those days, the children of Israel burned incense on it and called it Nehashtan. Nehashtan literally just means piece of brass. And so they had turned it into something and they were burning incense on top of it. You know why that happened? Because they were burning incense to Baal. They were burning incense to Asherah. And before you knew it, they were worshiping anything and everything. They were turning away from the true and living God. But when you turn to, just in case you don't think this guy is solid enough, when you, t- when you look in Chronicles, you know, the Chronicles is a companion text for kings and it gives more detail. So when we get there, we're going to see a lot of the same things happening in greater detail. It tells us in 2 Chronicles 29 and 30 of Hezekiah, he clean, repaired, and refurbished the temple. He reinstituted the ritual sacrifices. He brought the priests and Levites back to work in the temple. He gathered the people together to celebrate Passover, and it hadn't been celebrate. Uh, since the time of Solomon. So this guy didn't just tear down the idols. He reinstituted all the true and living worship to the true and living God. So Hezekiah, this guy rocks. Amen. This guy's honoring God. He's obeying God. He's stepping up when nobody else has for, for hundreds of years. Uh, the wooden images were idols to Baal and Asherah. Why anybody still worshiping Baal after all the prophets of Baal got, you know, got exposed by Elijah, and all put to death. Remember, they cried out for Baal, Baal, we wound ourselves for thee, and they cried out to Baal. And I love Elijah because he said, maybe he's out hunting. You know, uh, maybe he's in the bathroom and he can't hear you. And they cried out for hours and nothing happened, and then he prayed to the Lord, and the fire came down and consumed the altar, and they put all the prophets of Baal to death, and they were still worshiping Baal. All these years later, still worshiping Baal. Praise God for Hezekiah. Now look, I know this would not be popular. And you know what? I'm a Christian far before I'm an American. But if I was a president of the United States, I would bulldoze every form of worship to anybody but Jesus Christ tomorrow afternoon. How about that? That's what Hezekiah did. Amen? Everybody else was used to all these other forms of worship. And Hezekiah didn't care what was comfortable. He didn't care what everybody else did. He cared what the Word of God said. And we need to get there, amen? We need to be those people who are far more concerned with what the Word of God says than, than anything else. And by the way, that you say, oh, that's, that's bigoted, or that's the, that's the uh, no, it's the truth. Amen? By the way, do you think the, you think the Muslims and the and the people that are the Mormons, and all, we love those people. We pray for them all. They all need to be saved. We love them. Amen? Jesus died for them. Jesus loves them. 
Do you think they're gonna, that they'd be more happy with us when they're standing before God on Judgment Day if we just left them alone? Or do you think they'd be more blessed if they came to know the true and living God and they were delivered from an eternity separated from him? Amen. Everybody's so tiptoeing around everything else and making stands for political statements. Let's make stands for Jesus Christ. Amen. As God's people, we too need to again guard against idolatry. There are many dangers of idolatry in the modern church. As I said, making leaders idols. You know, they did it back in the days of the apostles. I'm of a Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Peter. I'm of, right? I'm of Jesus. Amen. I'm of Calvary Chapel. But look, I love the Calvary Chapel movement. I'm a Christian. There's no Calvary Chapel section in heaven. Can I get an amen to that? Right? I'm not Baptist or Presbyterian. I'm a Christian. Amen? We can make education an idol. Be careful. Even in the church. I told this story before. Years ago, I had this, I was a youth pastor and I was looking to plant a church before I went to Santa Cruz. And somehow somebody got my information and I got a call from this, from this group in Houston that was looking for a pastor. And they, they literally sat and listened to my tapes as a group and called me up and said, you're the guy. We believe this is the Lord. They wanted to fly me and my wife out. We have a, we have a house for you to live in. We want you to come. This is an answer to prayer. We've been praying for years. We find, we believe you're the guy. So I'm okay. And I said, well, I'll come visit. Let's see what. So I sent them my info and they, they called me back and said, well, where did you graduate from seminary? I said, I didn't go to seminary. Click. That was the end of that. You're a God's man. Oh, you didn't go to school? You don't have a THD after your name? And again, nothing wrong with going to seminary necessarily, but you know what? Just because you graduated doesn't mean you're called. And you know what? We don't, God doesn't equip the called. He calls, he doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. Amen? Amen? You can have all kinds of degrees after your name and not be called by God. We can make customs, customs habits, and traditions an idol. We can make forms of worship an idol. Amen? That's another call I get. I call up, okay, what, do you, what, what kind of worship do you guys have? Of the kind that honors Jesus. That's what we do. <laughs> no, but what kind of worship? Where we sing, we have instruments. No, no. What kind of worship? I don't even know what they're talking about. Are you guys singing hymns? Sometimes. Amen? Not enough for Jack, but sometimes. Amen? <laughs> But the point is that we can, we can get to this place where we're making all these prerequisites and, and we can start to worship the wrong thing. Again, making of a building or a denomination, we can make that an idol as well. So Hezekiah took initiative to remove anything that took the focus off of God, his word and his commands. It's about God, his word and his commands. That's what we're doing. We're going, to put, we're going to get the Levites back in there. We're going to start worshiping again. We're going to do Passover again. We're not going to forget how he delivered us out of bondage. By the way, Passover is a picture of the cross, blood of the lamb, shape of a cross. And so he went back to doing everything in the way that God had commanded it. It says there in verse 5, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Amen, amen, and Amen. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. He didn't trust in his military. He didn't trust in his heritage. He didn't trust in, in, in anything else. He put his trust, his faith, and his hope in the Lord and nothing else. I continue to, try to say I'm not going to mention my son during a message, but it's not going to be tonight. Here's the reality. Since my son went to heaven, I care about everything a little bit less. I just, don't, I just don't care about money at all. I never really cared about money. Now I really don't care about money. I just don't. I don't care. 
You know what I care about? People going to heaven. That's what I care about. I really, nothing else, nothing else matters. I just, and maybe that'll, you know, I, but I'm just kind of in this place now where my son's in heaven and I've always longed to go to heaven and I've been reading books about heaven. By the way, we need to talk about heaven more because that's where we're headed. Amen. We're going to be here for this and then we're going to be there forever. Amen. And heaven is better and heaven rocks and I can't wait. Amen. Now that being said, so then our focus and our passion should be heavenly. What is the profit of man? or a woman, if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul, if you accomplish everything you want to accomplish in this life and you don't give your life to Jesus. My son, Mark, was far from perfect. We're all sinners saved by grace. He struggled with depression for 13 years. Far from perfect. You know what, though? He loved Jesus, and he's in heaven. I'd rather have my son who struggled and loved the Lord and went through difficulty and ended up in heaven than somebody who had the world by the tail and everybody sang their praises and thought how amazing they were and spent eternity separated from God. Amen? We have one, one design, one plan as parents, get our kids to heaven. Amen? Now, we can't save them, but we can do everything we can to point them in the right direction. Amen? So he put his trust in the Lord. He put his trust in the Lord. And it says, the Lord God of Israel, so after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor was there one before him. You know what? He's one of a kind. There was not going to be a king as godly as him after him, and there hadn't been one in Judah before him. He followed in the pattern of King David. He is a mighty man of God. And all he had to do to be a mighty man of God is all we need to do to be a mighty man and woman of God is obey God. And make him the priority and make him the passion and put nothing else in front of him. That's it. There's not 9,000 things we got to do. Just love God and love people. Can we do that? Amen? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen? Love God and love people. And if we love God, we'll love people. And if you don't love people, you don't love God. Amen? Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Why? So people could be saved. Why did Jesus come to earth to save people? I love this example of Hezekiah. He's a, he's a godly man. He's removing everything that takes the focus off the Lord. If it's taking your eyes off of the Lord, get rid of it. Look, I love all of you. You know that. I love you all. If you, even if it's your first time here, I love you already. That We adopt you here. We don't have church membership. You show up. You're part of the family, and you're getting hugged when you come back. Amen? So that's what we do, all right? That being said, it breaks my heart that there's so many people. This church has been here eight years. People will, you'll, you'll, they'll disappear for football season. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen? What's your priority? What's your passion? What's the thing that's, again, there's nothing, nothing wrong with vacations. We should all go on vacation, amen? But that being said, you find out what really is important to you by how you spend your time, where you spend your resources, amen? What's the priority? Hezekiah said, nothing, the Lord, that's it. Get rid of everything else. Take it all down. We're going to honor God. And it took hundreds of years to get one king like that. Notice what it says here was none like him. And it says, but he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him. Boy, I mean, wouldn't you love to have these things on your tombstone? He trusted the Lord. He did not depart and he followed him. He's going he's gonna to have some stumbling in the middle, but he's going to finish strong before it's over. 
And guys, it's not enough for us to be on fire for God for a while. And then, you know, and and really here's the truth. It's more about how you finish than how you start. Because if you finish strong, you finish close to the Lord, you're walking with the Lord. And too often what we see is people that start off like a ball of fire and then their, their, their faith grows commonplace. And I've even had people say this, that guy's fired up about the Lord, but he's a new believer. He'll get over it. Right? I hope we never get over it. I hope, I hope we get more on fire. Amen? The closer we get to the Lord, the more we ought to be reflecting him. And I just love what it says there. He held fast to the Lord. Again, finish strong. One of the greatest things Hezekiah is that not only did he start well, but he's going to finish well. We're going to see some some hiccups in the middle here in a few verses. Notice it says, the Lord was with him. I would say this to you. Is the Lord with you? Is he with you? Are you an into having into, do you have intimate fellowship with him? Is Jesus Christ your best friend? When you wake up in the morning, is he the first thing you think about? Do you spend time with him? Do you pray? Do you talk to him throughout the day? Pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. Guys, it's not enough to be Christian in name. Guys, it's not about religion, it's about a relationship. You know, when the Bible tells us we're the bride of Christ, are you married to Jesus? Amen. If you think about him, you know. Again, sorry, forgive me. I think about my son, Mark, every minute of every day. It's been two and a half months since he went to heaven. I think about him every minute of every day. You know, I think about more the Lord. Amen? You know why? The Holy Spirit came to live inside of you. He is the down payment on heaven. He will never leave you nor forsake you. So when you're, when you're in a conversation, the Holy Spirit's there. When you're at work and supposed to be doing your job, the Holy Spirit's there. When you're interacting with your wife or your children or you're talking to your neighbors, the Holy Spirit is there. Amen? And He comforts you when you're hurting and He convicts you when you sin and He helps you walk the walk that God's created you to walk. Amen? He should be the priority and passion of our lives. He shouldn't be somebody we think about an hour on Sunday and an hour on Thursday night. And I just love that He... The Lord was with him. The Lord was with him. Boy, we need the Lord with us, don't we? We need the Lord with us. Without him, we can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who so strengthens me. He says, he prospered wherever he went, and he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now, remember Assyria. Remember what he did? He came to the king of Israel, Hosea, and he told him, he basically said, you know, bow or we're going to run you over. And then eventually, that's what happened. And we, we talked about this. We know from other uh, writings that the Israelites were taken out naked with fish hooks through their lips and dragged out and marched 300 miles away and were thrown into another environment. And why did that happen? Because he submitted to an ungodly king. Now, what is this telling us? The Bible tells us in Romans 13, I caught a lot of flack for this because most of you know we stayed open through COVID. Amen. And we will always be open and we will never close church. And if the black plague comes out, we'll just come to church and go to heaven together. Can I get an amen to that? But we're going to have church and we're going to keep church open and we're not going to close it. I don't care what happens. Now, but people, Romans 13, submit to the authority God placed over you. Whom shall we obey, God or man? Amen. Well, the Assyrian king is putting pressure on him. 
wants him to pay dues and taxes. We're going to see he wimps out a little bit. But right here in the beginning, he goes, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. I don't care. Look, we honor the government till the government tells us to dishonor God. Then we tell the government, not so much. Amen? Long before you're an American, you're a Christian. Amen? I love my country. I'm patriotic as anybody. I'm blessed to live here. I love our country. I love our country down here. I love God up here. Amen? So I love that he's just the king of Assyria. Yeah, I'm not doing it, bro. No, I'm honoring God. You're an idol worshiper. I'm not following you. I'm obeying God. I'm not going to follow man. Hezekiah is making a stand. God bless him. And then look what it says, verse 8. He subdued the Philistines. Who was the most famous Philistine? What's his name? Goliath. 11 foot, 750 pounds. 150, well, the 15 pound spearhead, 150, you know, several hundred pounds of armor on him. And, and King David uh, was a little shepherd boy, teenage shepherd boy without a bit of armor, probably, you know, five foot nothing and a hundred and nothing against 11 foot 750. And why did David win? Because if God is for us, who can be against us? You plus God is a majority. And everybody was scared to death of Goliath because they saw the size of the man. And David wasn't scared because he was hanging out with the Lord as a shepherd. He was worshiping God. And when he showed up in the camp, the Israel, the, the Holy Spirit showed up and he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that comes against my God? He didn't see 11 foot 750 against a beer boy. He saw a mere man against the creator of the universe, and he knew that dude was in trouble. And keep that in mind for later in the text. Amen? When people come against God, game over. Amen? Game over. And he, he captured the Philistines. As far as Gaza and its territory, from the watchtower to the fortified city. So literally, not only was he not afraid of the Assyrians, he attacked the enemies to the south and he went all the way to the bottom of the territory of the Philistines, which was in Gaza, and he wiped out the enemy. So why? Because he was honoring God. So God blessed him. God gave him wisdom. God gave him strength. God used him mightily. The Bible says the eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one he can show himself strong on account of, one whose heart is loyal to him. God's not looking for a better method. He's not looking for a better message. We don't need one. He's looking for men and women who'll say, here I am, Lord, use me. Amen? That's what he's looking for. Lord, use me. Hezekiah said, use me. And God's using him mightily. Point number one, winning the spiritual battle. Remove anything that takes your focus off of the Lord. Number two, consequences of rebelling against the Lord. Look at verse nine. Now it came to pass in the fourth year of King Hezekiah, which was the seventh year of Hosea, the son of Elah, king of Israel, that Shammeser, king of Assyria, came up against Samaria and besieged it. Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom, Israel. This is what we looked at in the previous chapter two weeks ago. It says, at the end of three years, they took it. And the sixth year of Hezekiah, that is the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Israel, Syria was, Samaria was taken. Then the king of Assyria carried Israel away captive to Assyria, put them in Halah, and by the by, the, by Habor, the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Mede. So this is what we saw two weeks ago, and literally he came in, 
And like I said, when they captured them, they try to remove their nationality. How do they do that? They drag, it'd be like if somebody conquered the United States, and let's just say it was, uh, you know, I don't know, Nicaragua, right? So they take every American down to Nicaragua. They teach you their language. They, 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 they enslave you down there. Then they take people from Nicaragua, bring them up here. And now the United States is gone. The language is gone. The people are all intermixed. Well, that's what they did in Israel. They took them all hundreds of miles away. And now they were, there was no nationality that was standing out. We know God's going to bring it back together, but that's what they had done. And so we see here that, that the consequences of rebelling against the Lord, for hundreds of years, God gave them opportunities to repent. And for hundreds of years, they continued to worship the false idols. They didn't have a Hezekiah in Israel. They had Hosea who left all the idols up. They left they had that evil king after evil king after evil king who wanted nothing to do with God. They shook their fists at God for hundreds of years. And finally, God said, that's enough. We look around the world today and we see some pretty evil things that have been taking place. By the way, pray for Roe v. Wade to be overturned. Amen. Stuff's happening right now. Yep. Amen? Amen? And people are saying, we need health care. It's going to be bad for health care if we can't have abortions on demand. You know what's bad for health care? Killing babies. Yes. Amen? Amen? put a stop to it. Point is that evil can go on for so long before God's judgment comes. Evil had been going on for so long in Israel, God finally said, okay. And God even used ungodly Assyrians to bring righteous judgment upon his own people who had turned their back on God. Amen? Verse 12. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities, or excuse me, because they did not obey the voice of the Lord, verse 12, their God, but transgressed his covenant and all that Moses and the servant of the Lord had commanded, and they would neither hear nor do them. Here's what happened. They were told what the word of God commanded. God gave them clear instruction. They neither listened to it nor did it. Now, you, if you call yourself a Christian, and by the way, now this is an old study. It was about 12 years ago, but 12 years ago, 85% of Americans said they were Christians. We all know that's not true. Now, I would love it if that were true. And I pray that it will be true one day. They'd have to bring a great revival for that to happen. Amen. But what you say you are means nothing. By your fruit, they shall know you. Amen. If you've got a thing in the backyard and, and someone says it's an apple tree and you have it in there for 20 years, ain't no apples. That's a stick. Amen. An apple tree. That's a weed. That's what they got to go. Put that in the fireplace. Amen. But a lot of people say they're Christians. By your fruit, they shall know you. Amen? And these people were saying that they were of God. They were God's chosen people, but they didn't obey God. They didn't listen to God. They didn't hear God. They wanted nothing to do with God, and they worshiped false gods. Guess what? God said, judgment's coming. And judgment came. And they were drug away to a foreign land. Uh, we have a, a guy that used to attend church. His name's Bob Whaley. Who remembers Bob? Yeah, you've been here a while. Bob's in heaven. He got saved at the community center. Amen? Love Bob. He was, I don't know how old he was exactly, probably his late 70s or something. And that brother had a six pack still, right? He was just, all he did was work out. Amen? But he would get mad when God, when God brought judgment on people. He didn't like it. Why would God do that? 
And I go, just read the chapter before, bro. That's all you got to do, right? You know, when you see God brings judgment, read what happened before that. For hundreds of years, God, you know, right? And well, but I don't think that God should judge people. Well, guess what? God's in charge, not you. Amen. But also, God is always gracious first. He's always gracious first. And you know what? Some of us, maybe you're doing things in your life or someone watching online right now or someone hears this on the radio. Maybe you're living a part of your life and you've been getting away with it. And maybe it's something nobody else knows about. Maybe it's something you do in secret when you're by yourself or on your computer or whatever. And I just want you to know, God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And I would encourage you to repent before the righteous judgment comes. Amen? It's not too late to repent. You can get right with the Lord. Amen? So point number two, the consequences of rebelling against the Lord, walking in rebellion against God, will remove you from fellowship with God. They're no longer in fellowship with God. They're no longer really even identified as God's children anymore. Now, they've been intermixed, and God's going to draw Israel back together. But at this point, it's like they're gone. They're no longer his kids. I mean, you can't even identify them anymore because they rebelled against the Lord for generation after generation. Point number three, continue to trust the Lord in the midst of trials, difficulty, and worldly opposition. Look at verse 13. And in the 14th year of King Hezekiah, so King Hezekiah now has been, is 39 years old. He's been the king for 14 years. And look what it says. So Israel's already been taken away. It's been a while. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came against the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So he had some time of peace. He had some time where he had victories against the nations that surrounded them. Uh, you can see this repeated. And if you go to Isaiah 36 and 37, I'll tell you all about what takes place here. And we're going to see that some tough times are coming upon godly people. You know, we need to be careful to think, not think because... God was with Hezekiah and he was prospering that he wouldn't have difficult times. Before it said he prospered and he was victorious, but now difficult times are come. Now the enemy's coming against them. And the fortified cities he's talking about here, all the cities in the outlying areas were all taken captive. The one that wasn't yet was Jerusalem. Okay, so that's the, that's the capital. That's where the temple is. So all these other cities that surrounded them have been taken captive by the enemy. And Hezekiah is still held up there in Jerusalem. He still has the main city that, is, that, he, that he occupies. So now everything had been good and Hezekiah was praising God. And Hezekiah stepped out in faith and got rid of all the idols. And Hezekiah took a stand against Assyria when he first wanted to attack and said, I'm not going to honor you. I'm not doing it. Now, 14 years have gone by, and now Assyria is back in full, full speed, and they're starting to have some victory over Hezekiah and the children of Israel. And now Hezekiah, how is he going to respond? See, again, it's easy to be the Christian on the cruise ship. But our maturity is seen in how we respond in difficulty. Amen? Faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. Amen? So I know a lot of us have gone through very difficult times. And if you haven't gone through them yet, they're coming. Amen? And if you just got out of one, there's another one coming. But the Bible tells us to count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. For trials produce patience, the perfecting of your faith. It's the way that God molds us more into the image of our Savior. Look what happens here in verse uh, 14. Then Hezekiah, king of Judah, sent to the king of Assyria of Lachish, saying, 
I've done no wrong. I've done wrong, excuse me. Turn away from me. Whatever you impose on me, I will pay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hezekiah, hello. Dude, what happened? You didn't get your Wheaties this morning? You skipped your devotionals. That's what happened. You weren't praying today. Here's what happened. He was before telling Assyria, pound sand. I'm following God. Assyria attacks. It's, I did you wrong. I'm sorry. Tell me how much to pay you. I'll give you money to leave me alone. He's treating Assyria like the godfather, a collection agent. He was going to give him every, all the money he can. What happened to Hezekiah? Guys, faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. This man of God, some time has gone by. And whatever happened, he's, he's not being as strong in his faith as he once was. He's not holding on to the Lord as tight as he once was. Does that not happen to all of us? Amen? Hezekiah, what are you doing? And then he says there, whatever you impose, I will pay. And the king of Assyria assessed Hezekiah, king of Judah, 300 talents of silver and 30 talents of gold. So Hezekiah gave him all the silver that was found in the house of who? Oh, and the treasures of the king's house. At that time, Hezekiah stripped the gold from the doors of the temple of the Lord and from the pillars which Hezekiah, king of Judah, had overlaid and gave it to the king of Assyria. He goes in and strips down God's house. He strips down the temple and sends all the money to the king of Assyria, hoping he'll leave him alone. By the way, if you feed a rabid dog, he just wants more. Amen? Your flesh will never be satisfied. The enemy lies to you. Just do it once. Get it out of your system. It never gets out of your system. Amen? And the same is happening here. He's, you know, oh, well, if I just give him a bunch of money, he'll leave us alone. We should never succumb to the threats of an ungodly world. We should always obey God, even if it costs us something. I'm going to jail for Jesus before I'm submitting to an ungodly government that tells me I can't. Amen? You just can't threaten me with heaven. If we know where we're going, there's no fear. Heaven's better. Amen? I'm ready. Let's do this. Hezekiah, what happened, bro? Where's the, where's the disconnect? You were knocking down idols, dude, 10 verses ago. Amen? You were knocking down idols. You were standing for the Lord when nobody would. You were doing the things, we're singing hallelujah, and now you're stripping down the church or the temple, even more importantly, and giving up what belongs to the Lord to a pagan king. He stripped the gold. By the way, it was 11 tons of silver and one ton of gold. 11 tons of silver and a ton of gold. None of this is going to be enough to satisfy Sennacherib. He wants to surrender from Hezekiah. He wants to deport Hezekiah's people. He's already done it to Israel. He's going to do it again. If you succumb to him, Satan is a liar. He wants you dead. Amen? If you succumb to him, he will never be satisfied. He will just want more from you till he destroys you. Amen? So roaring lion, seagull may devour. Five years after, sometime after this, you know, about five years after the fall of Samaria, now the king of Assyria brought force against 
Again, Judah, who had resisted him before, and this time he ceases to resist. The Assyrian king captured all the fortified cities of Judah and only needed to take Jerusalem to completely conquer all of Judah. It's interesting. It says there, um, it's going to mention Lachish. And Lachish, uh, archaeologists have discovered a pit at Lachish with the remains of 1,500 casualties that probably came from the attack uh, on Nebuchadnezzar more than 100 years after the attack of the Assyrians. You know, because you know that Israel is taken into bondage once, and then God's going to bring them back, and then the Babylonians are going to come, they're going to do the same thing. Why does this keep happening? Because they keep getting their eyes off of the Lord. They keep starting to follow after the things of the world. And you know what? It can happen in our lives as individuals, and it certainly is happening to our country. Amen? Here's the mistake he made. He gave up on God. He gave up on God. Here's what, what should he have said. I want your city. I'm coming. I'm taking it all. I'm standing with God. I'm right here. Amen? I'm right here. God is greater than you. I'm standing with God. Instead, he's stripping and melting the, the gold out of the temple and giving it to this pagan king. Guys, your flesh will never be satisfied. You feed that hungry dog, he's only going to want more. Point number four, Satan will do everything he can to get you to give up. Watch this. Then the king of Assyria sent the Tartan and the Rabasaris and the Rabashekah from Lachish, with a great army against Jerusalem to King Hezekiah. And they went up and came to Jerusalem. And when they came, had come up, they went and stood by the aqueduct from the upper pool, which was the highway to the fuller's field. So there's an aqueduct. If you've been to Jerusalem, I mean, there's, they're, they're there today still from these ancient times. And they had these modern, they had this wonder, this aqueduct that would transport water. And so what he's doing is, he's already, he's already conquered the outlying areas. Jerusalem's the stronghold of Judah. So now he brings his army to show his force. He's going to surround him, and he's there at the place where the water supply comes from. And the threat is, he's going he's gonna to somehow dam that up, keep them from getting any water, and he's just going to either starve them out. Now, if he was so confident, he would have just attacked. But instead, what he's going to do, he's going to try to get him to give up. And Satan's tactic is almost always the same way. What did he do to the Lord? He tempted him, right? Anytime he was tempting him, he was basically saying, if you'll give up, I'll give you this. If you'll give up, I'll give you this. And Jesus answered Satan with what? With the word of God. And guys, when Satan tempts you, you need to respond with the word of God. And the only way you can respond with the word of God, you've got to know the word of God. And the only way you're going to know the word of God, you've got to read the word of God. Amen. 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 What happens on Sundays and Thursdays should be gravy to what happens the rest of the week. Amen. If you only ate twice a week, you'd be thin. Can I get amen to that? Now, he comes and he goes after him and he's mounting up against him. And then notice what it says here. We're going to pick it up here. So it says they came up, they went and stood. And it says that when they had called the king, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came out to meet them. So the king doesn't come out. Hezekiah doesn't even come out. He sends out some of his leaders, sends out some of his, his main guys to go talk to them. Then it says, then the Rabshakeh 
said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, what confidence is this in who, do you, in who you trust? So now he's challenging who he's putting his faith in. So he sends out his guys and he says, here's my army, who you putting your faith in? Now, we're going to see in a minute that he's going to put his faith in Egypt. He's going to try to get Egypt to align with him to fight against the Assyrians. Hezekiah is losing his way. Guys, we need to make sure that we're not running to the world for help when we should be running to the Lord. Amen? Amen? We should be seeking the Lord. The Lord shouldn't be the last resort. It's the first place we go. Amen? And he's saying, who do you put your trust in? And this immediately, because I love the Bible, reminded me of Nebuchadnezzar. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? He calls them in. Everybody's supposed to bow and they play the music and they didn't bow. Those three guys, they bring him in. I just, I just envisioned Nebuchadnezzar veins popping on the head. Amen. And he brings him in and he's so fired up. He said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Sounds like this guy, doesn't it? Who are you putting your trust in? The world may do the same to us. Amen. They start challenging us. How dare you go to church putting everybody at risk? You know what? How dare you close church? People are all going to hell without Jesus. How about that? Amen? We need to have a spiritual perspective. And so there's that, you know, and I love how I got to finish up that story with that shadow. Because they said, hey, O king, our God will deliver us. But even if not, we will never bow to that golden idol. And then Nebuchadnezzar's neck, now there's stuff's coming out of his neck. He's losing. He's heating up seven times hotter. Can't you just see it? How hot, how hot does fire have to be? Amen. Heat it up. He heats it up so hot that it kills the guys that throw them in the fiery furnace. And he went from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? Heat it up seven times hotter. Then he looks into the fire. He sees the three of them walking around and the fourth one in the likeness of the son of God. Then they had to be called out of the fire. Because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him. Amen? It's better to be in the worst trial in the world. I'd rather have COVID and every variant that they want to throw on me and have Jesus. Amen? Than have every vaccine you want to hand out and no disease and not have Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? See, the people are fearing the wrong thing. And he went from... Who is the God to come out? Come out, you servants of the Most High God. Why? Because three guys stood up. Hezekiah, not so much right here. He's going to have a comeback, thankfully. The Rapshika, that's not a name. It's actually a position or a title. It's like a general or a leader or a commander. And he's the commander speaking on behalf of, of the Assyrians. He says, you speak of having plans and power of war, but they are mere words. And of whom do you trust that you rebel against me? So here he is. This guy's, this guy's not afraid. This, this commander of the Assyrians, who do you trust in? You're going to defy me, right? And again, if you're standing with the Lord, you can stand up with anybody. But he's going to stand up with the Egyptians. That's not really going to be the answer. Now look, you are trusting in the staff of a broken reed, Egypt, on which a man leans. If you go into his hand and pierce it, so is the Pharaoh king of Egypt to all who trust in him. He's saying, look, you're leaning on the wrong people. We've already smoked the Egyptians before. They won't even touch us. See, that's why we don't battle the world with the world. Amen? 
The answer isn't going out and getting more worldly stuff to compete with the world. The answer is getting on our knees and trusting in God and letting God loose on the world. Amen? Lord, go before us. Lord, your will be done. Lord, we trust you. Amen? You know what? As Christians, we ought to be talking a lot less about what party we belong to and start talking a lot more about Jesus. Amen? Because people need the Lord. Vote. Vote biblically. But our hope is not in the White House, praise God. Our hope is in the throne of grace, amen? And he's the king of kings, and he's in control, and he's a faithful God. You're putting your faith in a broken reed. He's being mocked by the king of Assyria. Oh, Lord, help. We're out of time here. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God. Is it not he whose high places and whose altars Hezekiah has taken away and said to Judah and Jerusalem, you shall worship before the altar of Jerusalem? He's telling him that he disobeyed God by getting rid of the idols. Because Satan, just like Assyria, is a liar. Amen? You're in trouble because you took all those high places down and that's why you're in trouble. You're in trouble because you stopped worshiping all those false dead gods. Guys, we need to know the Bible better than the enemy does. Amen? We need to be able to respond and go, dude, you've lost your mind. Then it says, now therefore I urge you, give a pledge to my master, the king of Assyria, and I'll give you 2,000 horses if you're able to part, uh, to, your part to put riders on them. Here's what he's saying. He's mocking him. Dude, even if I gave you 2,000 horses... And if you had any riders to put on them, we'd still smoke you. We could beat you with our hands tied behind our back. We'll give, we'll give you 2,000 tanks, 2,000 jets. We'll still wipe you out. That's what he's basically saying. He's mocking him. Why? Because he's putting his faith in horses and chariots instead of putting his faith in God right here. Amen? And he's being mocked even by the world because of it. Then he says there, now you repel one captain of the least of my master's servants and put your trust in Egypt for chariots and horsemen. He's saying, look, if I sent in my smallest fleet, if I sent in the littlest guys I've got and you went out and got your Egyptians, you still wouldn't be able to defeat us. So he's being mocked for putting his faith in the wrong place. Then he says, have I come up without the Lord against this place to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against the land and destroy it. Now he's saying that the Lord's on his side. And you'll hear people say that. There were a group of people that were praying and thanking God for abortion. There were a bunch of uh, priests and people saying that abortion comes from the Lord. It's a gift from God. You know what? I don't care if you think you represent God. You're misrepresenting God and you're preaching a lie. Amen? And people will do everything in the name of the Lord when it's contrary to the word of God. And they will only fool people who don't read this book. Amen? I put myself in jail here. We're out of time. <laughs> I've come up against the, to destroy you and go up against the land and destroy it. Last two points. Give me five extra minutes, okay? Verse 26. The enemy's greatest weapon is fear. Watch what he does. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, Shebna, and Joah said to the... To, so these are the representatives that, that were sent out by Hezekiah. Please speak to your servants in Aramaic. For I understand it and do not speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people who were on the wall. Here's what they're saying. Don't talk to us in Hebrew because you're going to scare our people. How do you think they're going to respond to that? That's exactly why we're here, right? Man? right? They're gonna, we're here to scare your people. So watch what happens. But Rabshakeh said to them, 
Has my master sent to your master and to speak these words? And not to the men who sit on the wall who will eat and drink their own waste with you? What's he telling them? Uh, we're letting you all know. If you side with this guy, you're going to be eating your own waste before this is over. That's what he's letting them know. Putting fear in them. Then Rabbi verse 28, stood and called out with a loud voice in Hebrew saying, hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he shall not be able to deliver you from his hand. Nor let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord saying, the Lord shall surely deliver us. The city shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. They just made the big mistake right there. It's one thing to speak against God's people. It's one thing to attack people that recognize God. It's one thing to attack a nation. It's another thing to mock the Lord, which he just did. And you know what? If anybody's paying attention, it's time to pop champagne, well, uh, non-alcoholic champagne bottles. Because here's what happens. You know what this means? You're done. Got to come back next week. Assyria, you're done because you just mock God. Amen? God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. The Assyrians said, you have no army, you have no people. That's true. Your army's bigger than yours. You can't defeat us. And who's your God anyway? Uh-oh. Okay. About to find out. Let the Lord out. Can I get an amen? amen. Let the lion of the tribe of Judah come forward. He says, do not listen to Hezekiah. But thus says the king of Assyria, make peace with me by a present and come out to me and every one of you shall eat of his own vine, have your own fig tree and drink of the waters of your own cistern. Satan always lies. The enemy always lies. He tells you what you want to hear and then he pounces on you. Amen. Until I come and take you away to the land like your own land, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive groves and honey, that you may live and not die. But do not listen to Hezekiah, lest he persuade you, saying, the Lord will deliver us. He did it again. I'm glad this book doesn't end in this chapter because it's coming. Amen. Has any of the gods of the nations at all delivered us from the land or the hands of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of uh, Seraphim and Hena and Eva? Indeed, have they delivered Samaria from my hand? Who among all the gods of the lands delivered their countries from my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem from my hand? He's comparing the true and living God to gods that don't exist. And he's saying, we had victory over that dead God and that dead God and that dead God and that idol and that false idol. And now we're going to have victory over you. And who do you think your God is? Boy, he's going to about to get the Nebuchadnezzar treatment. Amen. It's coming. You came against a true and living God and we can just stand back and praise him. Amen. We can just worship him and let the Lord do what needs to be done. Our God is greater. By the way, I've read the end of the book. We win. Amen. Amen. God wins. Before this is over, God wins. Let me finish, because otherwise there'll be a mess next week. You got used to the cold already, so just hang in there. <laughs> Has any of the gods of the nations? No, he's mocking the God. And what God would deliver Jerusalem from my hand, verse 36. But the people held their peace and answered him not a word, for the king's commandment was do not answer. So what is he doing? He's using fear, and he's striking them with fear. And it's sad to me that there were so many Christians so, so bound up with fear, and so much of our country is so bound up with fear. I still see people riding alone in their cars with two masks on. They're afraid. 
You know what I do? I just pray for them. I don't mock them. I just pray for them. You know what? Lord, open their eyes. Amen? Don't be afraid. They're afraid. Last point. Sometimes it's good to keep your mouth shut. Look what it says. But the, but the people held their peace. And then it says, Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkah, who was over the household, Shebna the scribe, and Joah the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of Rabshakeh. So what did they do? They were, they were, all this fear was installed in them, instilled in them, and instead of responding to the enemy, they just walked away, didn't say a word. They're going to come back to the king. Guys, when, there's a, when you're confronted with the enemy, the enemy's throwing fear in you, instead of responding to the enemy, run to the Lord. Instead of getting all whipped up and getting into argument with the, with the enemy, with the world, just turn to the Lord and say, Lord, help. Lord, I need you. Lord, you got this. Let me just stand behind you. Amen? Let me just stand next to you. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. So in closing, winning the spiritual battle, remove anything that takes your focus off the Lord. If God puts anything in your heart that you've made more important in your, than your relationship with God, Set it aside. Make God, give God the priority he deserves. We saw the consequences of rebelling against the Lord. God suffers long. We won't suffer always. We need to continue to trust in the Lord in the midst of trials, difficulty, and worldly opposition. Again, when opposition came, Hezekiah should have continued to stand for the Lord. Um, Satan will do everything he can to get you to give up. All the attacks of the enemy will come, trying to get you to finally surrender and give up. Guys, right now, we don't need Christians to give up. We don't need Christians to be afraid. We don't need Christians to hide. We need Christians to stand up for the things of God, to be unashamed of the gospel, and to answer what God said, that his eyes are looking to and fro among the whole earth, to show himself strong on one whose heart is loyal to him. We need more men and women to say, Lord, use me. Lord, use me at work. Let me be salt and light in my neighborhood. Let's bring revival to Thousand Oaks and let's start in my heart first. Amen. And then he finishes up with the enemy's greatest weapon is fear. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. And then finally, sometimes it's just, it's just best to be quiet and give it to the Lord. Amen. Lord, we thank you. We praise you. We worship you. You are indeed a great and awesome God. Thank you for everyone's patience tonight as we covered a lot of ground in your word. And Lord, I pray that we would all leave here exhorted, encouraged, and strengthened in the most holy faith. Help us, Lord. Give us divine appointments tomorrow. Give us opportunities to make a stand for you. Lord, it's not about us. It's about you. It's not our strength. It's your strength that we need. Lord, less of us and more of you. May we die to ourselves. May we walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name we pray. 